going to do something a little different this morning, but uh, shouldn't uh, actually in the children's church. Uh, uh, Brother Leland is preaching basically the same message that I am this morning, uh, just a uh, little lighter version, we might say. And so uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And just going to kind of set the context, and uh, the one thing I thought about doing is we've, uh, uh, over the years, I've had uh, 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 several different people say they like the history lessons with the sermons. And so I figured since July is the 4th of July, and we're celebrating 243 years, that maybe what we do the next several Sundays is just give a little history lesson, but... Uh, actually have an application to this as well. And and we're just going to start reading here in verse uh, 19, uh, a very familiar passage. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, And where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then Jesus takes the next few verses and illustrates this point once again. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness... How great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And so, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount here is setting the standard for righteousness to enter the kingdom of God. If you will be saved, if you will uh, be a part of that kingdom that God sets up where Jesus reigns as the Prince of Peace from the City of Peace, you have to meet certain qualifications. And the only way you can do that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? But unlike false religion... Eternity, assurance of eternity is not the end of your religion. It's only the beginning. Our relationship with God begins at the moment of salvation where God settles our eternity forever by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Uh, False religion, of which the world is full of today, gives you a hope that someday you might do enough good things. And and I'll tell you what, I've met an awful lot of people who claim to be saved, and my prayer is that they are. uh, But they treat God, and they treat the Bible, and they take their relationship with God Exactly the same way as the unsaved world or the false religionist. Every time something bad happens, oh, I must have done something bad. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had people say, well, 
You know, I've been putting money in the offering plate and God still does bad things to me. Whoa, wait a minute. Do you think you think you can buy God's pleasure? Uh, uh, privileges here. This this is not false religion. You don't buy God. But I will tell you this. Those verses we just read are all connected. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You know, there are people that you cannot communicate the gospel to. It's because they cannot see anything. They cannot see light. The light that is in them, whatever they have, is darkness. Uh, I've met people who say, Ah, oh, just uh, all that religion stuff. I said, No, it's not all that religion stuff. We're talking about a person here. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's just like, it's... It just doesn't make any sense. You cannot, you, you cannot communicate. And uh, people have often asked, what do I do with my family member or my loved one, my friend, that will not listen? You just keep giving them Bible verses. God's Word is the only cure. God's Word is the only light that we have in this world. And then Jesus sums that little section up saying, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot live for God and live for the world at the same time. Uh, You can for a short period of time, but eventually you're going to have to make decisions that are going to set you on one of two courses. You can only ride the fence until you hit a junction. Uh, Then you got to choose which way you're going to go. How many of you even know what that means, riding the fence? Uh, in, In the farmland, especially going back to the Civil War, the Revolutionary War was stone walls. Uh, you you can't ride those, but they used to make rail fences, and, and you could just scoot along the top of the fence, and you'd probably pick up a splinter or two along the way, but uh, eventually you get to a meeting of the post, and the fence goes two different directions. You can't you can't just keep going. You got to make a decision. That's what Jesus is trying to explain to the people that he's preaching here. And then where we're going to spend the main part of our time this morning is from here to the end of the chapter as Jesus explains to the people he is preaching to this Sermon on the Mount that we're worried about the wrong things. And our life energy is expended in the wrong ways. I mean, many of us, Uh, seated here in this auditorium. We're not born here in the United States. We know about what the world is like in other places. And in many places of the world today, you will work from sunup till sundown. And still, with every ounce of energy you have, not be able to provide 
food for your family. It is a terrible, terrible way to live. And I, I want to challenge you, as we live here in one of the few places in the country where freedom still exists, you don't have to live that way here. In fact, uh, you can check this out, but I don't think any nation in the history of mankind has given more to other people than the United States. Our, our uh, foreign aid that our government sends out is in the tens of billions of dollars every year. It's unbelievable. And yet, that doesn't even count the private economy of people who come here to the United States and they work here and they live here and they provide for themselves here and still have enough to send home and help their family members in other countries. You, you start adding that up and it, it becomes an unbelievable amount. Where does that all come from, my friend? Somebody said, my taxes. No, it comes from the freedom to earn and to live. And we have to stop and we have to think about that freedom. You see, if we spend all of our life's effort on physical things of this world, when we stand before God, our hands are going to be empty. And yet, if we will take our life's effort and put it into serving God, we have a promise that we'll get to in this passage that says God will provide the things that we need to live. And uh, I want to use a, a Revolutionary War story, one that's very close to home, the Battle of Long Island. Uh, that was fought mostly in Brooklyn. Uh, the very end of it stretched up to that little edge of uh, uh, where Woodhaven and Jamaica and all of that, I mean, Woodhaven and uh, Ridgewood and everything comes together. There's a... Uh, uh, it's called Guan Ridge, uh, Guanas Canal. Some of you will know that if you listen to the traffic reports. Uh, right down there below Brooklyn Heights, Red Hook. Uh, that is where this battle was fought. Uh, George Washington had been appointed the general of the Continental Army. Do you realize the only thing General Washington got from that appointment was sleepless nights, loss of funds, uh, uh, strain on his health and on his life, and the criticism of every person in the colonies. Uh, George Washington made no gain by that appointment. If you want a book to read, if you like to read books, get uh, uh, Mr. McCullough's 1776. He bases that book uh, on the thesis on the statement that without George Washington's personal, uh, physical stature, endurance, and strength, the American Revolution would have failed in 1776. 
And uh, he does a very good job of proving that point. We often say it is very, very rare in history when one person, one individual can change the course of history. But, but I want to tell you, George Washington was one of those men. And by the way, he was a man who believed in the God of this book called the Bible. Yes, he was a member of the Anglican Church. But uh, when he was, after the revolution was over, he was here in New York City. He would go from Trinity Chapel, St. Paul's Chapel there uh, on Fulton Street. And he would have his uh, carriage driver take him up to First Baptist Church uptown and uh, the pastor left the window open, and George Washington would park his carriage there as to not draw undue attention to himself and hear a real sermon from a Baptist preacher. Amen? Uh, Gano was his personal chaplain during the Revolution. And there is a portrait of George Washington being baptized by John Gano in the Potomac River. And I will tell you this, Baptists don't baptize people not supposed to, who have not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And John Gano certainly was no uh, coward when it came to doctrine. He was no compromiser. He believed in the Bible. And so, George Washington had been appointed in June. Uh, His first job was to travel to Boston. They had taken the cannons captured from Fort Ticonderoga, posted them on the Dorchester Heights, And the British uh, had no choice but to leave. If they kept their ships in the harbor, they could have sunk the ships. And so they sent a message to the British. If you leave Boston without burning the city and pillaging the, the city, we will not sink your ships. We will give you time to leave. And so they left. And as General uh, Charles Lee and... uh, Uh, Washington began to think about what was going on. The next target was New York. Now, New York had some very difficulties, uh, problems, geographical difficulties. It was stretched across islands. Uh, But the majority of people in New York, as today, were people who were against the American way. Uh, The majority of people who lived in New York at that time believed in the king, wanted to be loyal to the king. They were what we called Tories. Uh, They were not for rebelling against the king. They were not for what General Washington was doing. And he had many hindrances from the people, but if he left New York City uncontested, there'd be a lot of ramifications. People would say, it's only a Boston thing. They don't care about us. The, uh, the propagandist would have much to say about that. So they had to try to defend New York. So they landed their army at this time on paper. George Washington had about 20,000 troops. In reality, it was about half that. The British sailed forth and came here. 8,000 Hessians, 32,000 British troops. Only those weren't paper troops, those were real. Outnumbered easily 3 to 1, closer to 4 to 1. And Washington had to spread his thin troops across Manhattan Island, Long Island, 
and then even on the heights in New Jersey where our George Washington Bridge stands right now. One of the reasons it's called the George Washington Bridge. And uh, try to protect these islands. The greatest navy in the world, the British Navy. The brother of the commander of the land troops was the admiral of the Navy. And they got along famously. In fact, they were great co-planners. And as they looked and realized the geography and all of the advantages that New York City had for the British, they planned a trap. It was what we call the Battle of Long Island. And guess what? George Washington was not equal to the, the challenge. He was, uh, one writer put it, he was outmanned, outgunned, and outgeneraled. As he was trying to figure out what to do, the British gathered on Staten Island, right down around Fort Totten on August, uh, let me get the date here, 27th, about 3 o'clock in the morning, they ferried the troops across the Narrows, one division of British soldiers marched the entire face of the, Union, of the rebel line and General Putman left the Jamaica Pass unguarded. And so an entire British division, 10,000 soldiers, got in behind the American lines. In the morning when the attack began, they pushed the Colonials up toward what is now Brooklyn Heights, which was mostly a swamp. And then all of a sudden on their flank came General Cornwallis. You remember him. He was the guy that had to surrender at the end of the war, but he was not in defeat today. It was 400 Marylanders that stood in the gap and stopped the British Marines from destroying the Union forces. Then a rainstorm moved in. And nobody moved for 24 hours. They couldn't. The boats couldn't move. If they lifted their anchors, they would be blown off course. The, the soldiers on both sides just huddled. And late that night on the 29th, George Washington had called uh, Colonel Glover. He brought a detachment of his own men down from Massachusetts. And George Washington was very careful. He sent out his battle orders as if he was reinforcing the men on Long Island, only his real intention was to evacuate. They called the evacuation of Long Island the, one of the greatest strategic retreats in all of history. But I want to challenge you, it didn't work out the way they planned. As they were trying to ferry back across right about where the Brooklyn Bridge is today, at night, the British battleships was 600 yards away. If they had heard anything and given a, an alert... All of a sudden, all those thousands of soldiers would have been brought to their full attention. The attack, even in the darkness, would have destroyed the entire rebel army and resulted in the capture of George Washington. 
silently they fought the wind and the waves and the storm that night and back and forth. But as the sun came up that next morning, August 30th, there were still General Washington, his staff, and hundreds and hundreds of men on the wrong side of the river. And a fog bank rolled in. Wonder where that came from. A thick, blinding fog. Just as if God had drawn a curtain and on and through that fog, by six AM as the sun peaked over the horizon, General Washington got on the last boat and sailed across the river. They tell the story of one of the American colonels had left his horse on the wrong side of the river. And he said, I'm going back for it. And he went back and had time to go back and get it before the sun burned through the fog about 11 o'clock. 11.30, they draw anchor, come up the river to catch the prize and find out that everybody's gone. Now, we can talk about the great seamanship of, of Colonel Glover and his men, and that certainly is no uh, small feat that was to evacuate 9,000 men their artillery, their stores, everything that they had across a river over a mile wide with the terrible currents that we have here is a feat in and of itself. To have not been heard and not to be and not disturb the British pickets was a miracle. For the fog to roll in and curtain off their escape was an act of God. You see, God does intervene in history. And you can look it up. Not everyone will give you all the details. But you cannot read these stories and understand what really happened and not see the invisible hand of God moving in miraculous ways. I love the words of that third verse of our national anthem talking about the heaven-rescued land and that we need to serve the Creator who preserved us a nation. Nobody wants to sing those words today but people like us, but we're going to sing them anyway. Amen? All that happened right here in New York City. August 1776. And George Washington would eventually retreat from Harlem Heights he would eventually retreat from White Plains. He would be crossing the Hudson River. He would then cross the Delaware River before Christmas. And the generals of the British Army said, we chased him across the East River. We chased him across the Hudson. We chased him across the Passaic. And we chased him across the Delaware. There is no army until they showed up Christmas Eve and decimated the Hessian uh, garrison there at Princeton. And the whole war changed again. But let's go back to our text with this story in mind. Because I want you to understand that George Washington's field commanders, the generals in charge of the men on the field, made every mistake that could be made. They handed the 
victory that they had very little chance of in the beginning, but they made it 100% sure that there was no way that the American troops could win. They handed victory over to them as if they had just surrendered. And yet they did two things. Number one, they didn't give up. And number two, they were praying. I promise you that. George Washington, there's many stories attested to the fact that he prayed and sought God's wisdom and direction. And so we come back to our text and and we just, once again, reviewing the context here. The only treasure that will last, the only things that are real is what we lay up in store in heaven. Everything else can be lost and taken away from you. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Jason's downstairs, so I'll pick on him, my son. Uh, He ordered a new Nerf gun. Miss Pam couldn't walk in the door. Did you see? You want to see my new Nerf gun? Da, 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 da. It's like this, and it's the coolest gun. Da, 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 da. Uh, Miss Shukari got back. She got the same speech before uh, Pam did, and uh, I'm pretty sure John got that same speech. Yeah, he did. I mean, uh, I got that speech. Mom got the speech. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? When, when you, when you set your heart on something. You talk about it. It just comes out. You can't stop it. But we have to understand that the only true light there is is what comes from God. And that when we don't understand things in the Bible, when they don't make sense to us, that ought to be sirens going off, alarms buzzing, and, and, and uh, crisis alert. Because if we're not careful, even as children of God, we can allow the darkness and the confusion of this world to keep us from understanding what God gives us. That's, that's what he's talking here. You cannot serve two masters. And we get down to verse 27. It says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, how many of you know what a cubit actually is? A cubit is the ancient measurement. It went from the tip of your elbow to your longest finger. Average about 18 inches. They had a cubit and a span, which was this, about two feet. And, and they made, uh, those were their measures. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a human being by thought process or even surgical means, anything added that much height to their bodies? Well, I strapped on a set of stilts. Well, that's not adding height, my friend. That's just walking on high heels, all right? Uh, the, the issue here is, as we think about this, as we think about this story, I want you to understand something. 
How much can you actually accomplish? How well do you think you can provide for yourself? How well do you think you can protect yourself? I'll tell you, these generals here that were serving in the uh, colonist army here had made every mistake that you could possibly make. I mean, you, you couldn't. Uh, you might want to say it this way. There was no dumber way to do what they did than what they did. It is amazing that they survived. Could not be attributed to any of them and even their collective power. It was, it was bad from beginning to end. The only thing good they were able to do was get across the river. But if it hadn't been for the fog, they wouldn't have got that done either. And so my illustration is this morning, let's get down to the actual part of the Bible we want to truly examine here. Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore, sorry, verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now, what Jesus is trying to do is he is trying to help those to whom he is speaking here understand that you cannot live your life for the things of this world. You must make a choice. And that choosing God does not mean you have to be a pulper, you have to starve, you have to give up on all these things. Maybe... You will not have certain things that other people have. You, you have to make some choices here. But the Bible says that God knows that you have need of all these things. God is not ignorant. God is not careless when he talks about his concern for us and the things that we need. In fact, I would challenge you, God could probably... Uh, uh, let me start over again. Obviously, God can do a whole lot better job of taking care of you than you can. Can we say amen to that? But we go back to our Sunday school lesson. There's a whole lot of daily living that we got to do. I mean, if you're 40 years old, stop and think about 40, 40 years. That's a long time to live. 50, 60, Uh, some people get to 80 and 90 and even 100 years old. Here's what the Bible says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
Now, we've been through this verse before, and I know this is a review, but I want you to understand something. We, we are, just like General Washington and his generals did, we are going to make mistakes as we walk through this life. We're not going to do it. Nobody does everything perfect. God doesn't expect us to. But the general direction that we are heading in must be seeking first the kingdom of God. That word seek means to diligently search. First just simply means first. Kingdom. Now, if you go into any Christian bookstore, you will undoubtedly see... Uh, a whole section of books talking about the kingdom, preparing for the kingdom, the kingdom, living in the kingdom, da-da-da-da-da. And I want to tell you, please don't read those books, because not a one of them are based in biblical reality. They're all convoluted understanding. There, there are two aspects to the kingdom of God, just two. We have the eternal aspect, where Jesus will rule and reign For a thousand years, and that kingdom will continue without end after all of the events that are recorded in the Bible. The kingdom where Jesus is the king. And then in Luke chapter 17, he says, Lo, neither here nor there, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. He says, Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, are we supposed to seek that eternal kingdom? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're supposed to pray for it. Amen. We're supposed to prepare for it. We're going to be there a whole lot longer than we're going to be here. So, we need to have that in mind. But the the kingdom, I believe, primarily spoken of here is that daily kingdom inside me Is Jesus really in charge of what goes on in our lives? Does He rule in our heart? Are we under His direction or under our direction? Uh, I want to challenge you as I prepared for this message. I I have to look at my life and be honest. I'll tell you what, there's there's some things where... I'm doing the right things and and be in the right places and all of this, but is God really the one that's in charge or am I? Well, I mean, we have special times in... No, no, we're talking about just boring daily living. Are we seeking the kingdom of God? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that happening in our heart? Is Jesus really in charge? Or are we holding on to things? Then it says, and, so we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is what I'm doing enhancing or bringing forth a good testimony to the righteousness of God? I'll tell you, the biggest sin we have to deal with is selfishness. It is the plague uh, of our society. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but 
I'll tell you, the last five years in New York City, I have seen the selfishness level just go up astronomically. I mean, it used to be if you were uh, trying to get into a parking spot, person would come up behind you and, and let you into the spot. Now they fight you for it. Uh, and, and that's more average. I mean, the way people drive is just, and you hardly go anywhere and someone isn't whipping, weaving through the traffic at a super high rate of speed. Many of these people are, quote unquote, city officials of one kind or another. They know they're not going to get a ticket. So they get away with whatever. Everything is about me uh, on an individual basis, what we're talking about here. But the Bible says to seek His righteousness. The answer is not writing editorials and getting the world to change their behavior. That never has happened, never will happen. That's not the job of the church. What did Jesus or God speak to Israel? If my people, which are called by my name. You see, the church is talking about people in church. Someone says, well, we're just preaching to the choir. Uh, Wait a minute. And what they mean to that is you're preaching to people who don't need the preaching. Uh, excuse me, how many of us, my hand goes up first, could use some improvement in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? How many of us could use some improvement there? Okay, everybody in here, we could use some improvement there. That's why we're spending some time here. You see, things don't work out the way we plan. George Washington's plan was an utter failure. But God stepped in and changed the weather, pinning down the British fleet and the soldiers for a 24-hour period when they finally could advance again. Uh, They were still uh, very disoriented. Night fell the next night, and uh, George Washington evacuated. The clouds rolled in. The British guns were 600 yards from the very place where they were rowing back and forth in the East River to get across there where the Brooklyn Bridge spans uh, the East River right now. 9,000 men. Cannons. uh, Supplies. Ammunition. Rifles, horses, wagons, all back and forth over that river from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Eight hours. That's over 1,100 men per hour plus all their equipment in little tiny boats. That, that is unbelievable, is it not? You see, 
If we will trust God first with our salvation, and then trust Him the same way that we got saved with our daily living. That's what this verse is saying. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Where Jesus is in charge, where He is giving direction, where we're under His protection and His righteousness. What's the next phrase say? And all these things shall be added unto you. Why don't we have the things that we need? Because we're not seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Or maybe we just need to improve in that area. Amen? It says, Take no thought, take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You cannot be ready for tomorrow. I often tell my children as they talk about different things. And, and uh, I think it was Esther was talking about, well, uh, I need to be ready to go to college. And I said, Esther, that's, that's several years away right now. And no matter what you're worried about, it's going to happen at college. That's not what's going to happen at college. It's going to be something else. How many of you have ever had that happen? You get worried about something. You get trying to figure something out. I I want to challenge you that George Washington did not ride up and down the lines and berate his generals for doing dumb things. There, There would be time to replace them later. Not now. He needed those men who knew the men that were under their service to get people to do what he said. His emphasis was on doing the things that could be done. He could not win the war. He could not push uh, the British out of New York Harbor. He had no navy to fight their ships, and even if he did, they would not stand a chance against the British ships. So he did what he could. He got out of there. He got across the river. But he couldn't even do that without God's intervention. And I want to challenge you, our lives are the same way, are they not? I've heard many sermons blaming different people and I, I've tried in in in, in uh, my ability to lay blame where blame belongs when it when it is necessary but that's not the main thing we don't have to worry about who's at fault we've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that's what opens the door for God to do what only God can do If I were to ask the question, I will. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I believe every hand would go up. How many of us would like to see God do a miracle in our lives? I think every hand would go up. We we all have things that we need and and that we uh, are trying to accomplish in our service for God. The world is constantly... Trying to erase Christianity. 
We, we have a governor who hates this book called the Bible. We have a mayor who makes our governor look like a kindergarten student in that subject. Uh, and I don't mean to demean their power or their ability. I mean, they're, some of the laws that are being passed and the regulations that are being pushed in this state are, are, are quickly moving us to a point to where we as Bible-believing Christians may have to make that decision, do I obey God or obey you? And we need to keep those things in prayer. But here's what I'm saying is we have a book called the Bible that tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. That's talking about God ruling in your heart. Do you understand that if God rules in your heart, one of the places you're going to be on Sunday morning is church? Amen? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. If God is ruling in your heart, baptism is not going to be an issue for you. If God is ruling in your heart, you're not going to want to live like the world lives. You're not going to want to fight fire with fire. You're going to want to serve God and His righteousness. How many decisions do we make? Well, how close can I get without really going over the edge? That's not seeking his righteousness. That's seeking the highest level of unrighteousness I feel like I can get away with. And I want to challenge you that that thought process there takes us out of the path of God's provision and God's blessing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God does things in such a way that when they're finished, even the unsaved world has to admit God had a part. That's what we want. Amen? That's what we need to pray for and strive for. You see, George Washington was not such a great general at this point. His field commanders had made every blunder that was possible to make. But he refused to just sit down and give up. And there is no reason for any believer in Christ to sit down and give up. But there's every reason to put Jesus Christ first in our life. And seek his righteousness. And then let God do what only God can do. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.